Uh, again, good morning to all of you, and uh, whether you're here in person, good morning to all of you watching online today, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you who give so much of yourselves to others. And I'm very thankful uh, today. I think of my mom. I'm grateful for her love and laughter and selflessness that she always displayed, and I'm deeply grateful to Jill for being the wonderful mother she is to our sons. And you know, often a mother is the thread that holds a family together. And uh, it's a blessing to have a loving and devoted mother, as Tracy shared in her prayer. And it's also, as she noted, uh, painful. And we feel for those who have not had that kind of experience. And yet the gifts that a mother gives of unconditional love, attention, nurture, guidance, service, just to name a few. Uh, those are gifts that other people can give and share whether or not you have children or not, right? And many of you can identify women who have influenced your life and influenced your faith in a significant way, who may have been mentors or teachers or a spiritual mother or sister or guide. And today's a day to give thanks for all of those women. Well, as we continue our journey through the Bible, today we are in the book of Acts, which is one of the most enjoyable and fun books to read in the whole Bible, in my opinion. And Acts describes how the way of Christ was transformed from this little group of about 120 people in Jerusalem, how it was transformed under the empowerment and guidance of the Holy Spirit from this mostly Jewish sect in Jerusalem into a mostly Gentile movement that spread rapidly all around the Mediterranean Sea and concluded with the Apostle Paul sharing the good news of Christ in Rome itself. And in the book of Acts, we actually meet several women, uh, and many of whom are moms, who play a significant role in the growth and the expansion of the way of Christ. Just very quickly, in Acts chapter 1, we're told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and certain other women were part of Jesus' core group of 120 believers who were there in Jerusalem praying together and waiting to be empowered by the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts chapter 9, in verses 36 to 43, we hear the story of a woman named Tabitha, whose Greek name is Dorcas. And we're told she was devoted to good works and to acts of charity. Tabitha made tunics and other items of clothing, and she cared for widows. And she was so important to her community that when she died, they actually sent for the apostle Peter, who wasn't that far away in a place called Lydda. And Peter comes and comes into her room and restores Tabitha to life, just as he had seen Jesus do with a young girl in his ministry. And after Acts chapter 9, then in Acts chapter 12, we hear the story of when Peter is in prison and we're told that in the house of Mary, who is the mother of John, who is also called Mark, this is the young man who would end up writing the gospel of Mark, the church is gathered in her house and praying fervently for Peter who is in prison. And then in Acts chapter 16, we hear the story of a remarkable woman named Lydia. And 
And this is a slide from her chapel, the chapel that bears her name uh, in Greece that we visited. And Lydia is met by Paul and his companions on their journey. So listen to the, God, the, the word of God from Acts chapter 16 now, beginning at verse 6. They, and the they there is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that's the they, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we, you notice the change? It had been they, this is where we believe Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, we believe now Luke has joined them. And that's why it shifts from they to we. We immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. I want to note that Paul and his companions traveled to Macedonia because of a vision that Paul had during the night. The book of Acts and the Bible as a whole teach us that God sometimes communicates with us through visions and dreams. We heard that in the scripture that Tracy shared with us in Acts chapter 9. Paul has a vision of the risen Christ who speaks to him. He ends up not being able to see. Ananias has a vision of the Lord speaking to him, telling him what to do and to, where exactly to go to find Saul. Paul has his, uh, this vision of this man from Macedonia. Um, in some ways, visions and dreams are God's forgotten language. And we often don't pay close enough attention to our dreams and our visions you know, sometimes it's not just because you ate too much pizza too late at night. Sometimes God may be trying to tell you something and you need to pay attention. You know, Paul was open. He was paying attention. And so the Lord communicated to him and his vision was so clear. He and his team, he got up the next morning and said, I had this vision. We're going. And off they went. And what's interesting is that he has a vision of a man of Macedonia. 
And the scripture says they were in the city for several days. Doesn't mention any guys, any men that he has a conversation with. And we know that there were not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue in Philippi because that's why they go down by the riverside where they presume there's a place of prayer. And there they meet women. So Paul was open not only to visions and dreams, but he was also open to whoever showed an openness to the gospel. Now we're introduced to Lydia during what's called Paul's second missionary journey. I've got a little map to show you. And in his second missionary journey, it lasted two and a half years. Two and a half years. And he covered about 2,000 miles traveling, sharing the gospel. And we traveled a little farther than that going to Greece in March and April. And I want to note that both Paul and Lydia, can you see that okay? The second missionary journey is, uh, if you see this, it looks purplish to me. But it's the one that goes up across the north of Asia. There's only one that goes across the north of Asia into Greece. What says Macedonia? See that? Philippi, Thessaloniki, right down at, that's... That's the second missionary journey we're talking about. But I think it's interesting that both Paul and, leave the map, keep, leave the map up for a second. Paul and Lydia traveled as part of their life and work. Um, Lydia was from Thyatira, which is about, uh, it's to the almost directly east from where Athens is in Greece, uh, about 250 miles away. So both of them chose to travel in the, as part of their life and work. And in the case of the Apostle Paul, travel was done with the intention of sharing the good news of God's love in Christ who had suffered and died and risen again. And travel can play a significant role in helping you to learn and grow because it exposes you to different cultures, customs, people, food, music, ways of doing things. And you realize that the world is a much larger place than the very small circle of your particular knowledge and experience. And that's why travel, mission work trips, pilgrimage trips, cross-cultural experiences can be so beneficial and enlightening and fun. And part of what made our trip special was Teddy and Didi Opranov, uh, who came down from Sofia, Bulgaria to meet us in Philippi and spent 24 hours with our group. And that night, there's the picture of the four of us there at uh, Philippi, that night they shared with our group about their ministry there in Sofia, Bulgaria. We have been partners with them for more than 15 years, for those of you who are newer to our church. And they shared in particular what they were doing to help Ukrainian mothers and children who had come to Sofia fleeing the war in Ukraine. And our group was very inspired by their faith, by their leadership, their hospitality and generosity, all qualities that we actually see in Lydia's life as well. So we were there, we visited the ancient ruins in Philippi. We got a few pictures for you uh, of just the ruins of the ancient city. You can see that's the amphitheater uh, there. And ruins of a church that was built later. Obviously, there wasn't a church when they got there. <laughs> But it's really amazing when you walk around a site like this and you think Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they walked those streets. Hold it at this slide for me for a moment. They walked those streets of ancient Philippi. They would have seen that theater. They would have been there. And it's just something to, 
you know, after, when you read these stories in the pages of the Bible, to actually walk in these places and to picture the people we've read about for so much of our lives being in that place. They also have a wonderful chapel there dedicated to Lydia, and we can show you some photos of that. Wonderful, beautiful mosaics and a uh, place where you can uh, be baptized there as well. And we'll just run through those. Um, okay, we'll hold it there for a second. Because Lydia is known as a dealer in purple cloth, one of the things we did was we encouraged all of our women to wear something purple. And so we had a little worship service down by the riverside and uh, encouraged all of our women to, share, to wear purple in honor of Lydia. So you can see that in that photo there. Go ahead, then. And uh, they have set up this wonderful little place where you can have worship by the river, which is right next to the ancient ruins of Philippi. And uh, so we shared Lydia's story there and talked about her and uh, it's something to be by the water and to think this is where this incident would have happened. Thank you very much. So Lydia, as I said, was from Thyatira. She was a, a Gentile. She's the first Christian convert in Europe. So that's pretty significant, right? The first Christian convert in Europe. Now, she's a native of Thyatira, which is the name of an ancient Greek city, which was in Asia Minor. Now it's the modern Turkish city of Akhisar, and it lies uh, in the far west of Turkey, south of Istanbul, almost due east of Athens. And we're told that she's a trader of purple goods or purple cloth and a worshiper of God. And she's among this group of praying women who are at that riverside, whom Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke encounter soon after arriving at Philippi. And after receiving Paul's message, we're told that Lydia was baptized along with her household, which tells us that it's very possible she had been widowed or possibly divorced, but a household would mean a group that included children, extended family, slaves, or even business associates. And she insists that Paul and his companions stay at her home. So the first convert to Christianity in Europe, she's worth remembering for that and for what we can learn from her in this brief passage window. She was a successful businesswoman, first of all. Uh, she was someone who had, in that time, you know, you may think, oh, well, what's the big deal about that? In first century, I mean, to be a successful businesswoman such that she's got a place there in Philippi, that means she's a person of means. Uh, she's really been able to do something significant. And uh, what was interesting to me, you know, when you prepare sermons, you learn yourself. And uh, I didn't know anything about purple cloth. I mean, what do I know about anything like that? But what I found out was that it was in Thyatira, where she was from, that they developed a new way to procure purple dye, which was very prestigious because it was used, it was kind of for the upper crust and royalty. And they developed a way to get purple dye from the root of what's called the matter plant, which was a much cheaper way of producing the dye than the traditional way of extracting it from shellfish, which is the way it was done elsewhere. And here on the Cape, we can understand, right? You've seen purple in quahogs, right? And shellfish, you can see that. So, so here you have someone, she's an innovator. I mean, she's part of innovation, She's leading her own business. 
That's really, to me, I think that's really impressive in the first century. But beyond that, she's not only a successful businesswoman, she is a woman of prayer. And the phrase that we read in this, in this passage is, the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Her heart, I suspect, was prepared by her being a worshiper of God and her being regular at prayer, right? In the passage, again, that Tracy read for us from Acts chapter 9, what was Paul doing when Ananias had a vision? What was Ananias doing? They both were praying. They both were praying when the Holy Spirit gives the vision and connects them. Praying is, are any of you into gardening? Any of you have a garden you've started? Did you do anything at all to prepare the soil or did you just kind of throw seeds at the ground and hope something would happen? Right? And I'll just speak for myself. I can't grow anything. All right? But I do know, right, you have to prepare the soil, don't you? You got to like break the ground up maybe? Maybe a little fertilizer? Something like that? Well, spiritually speaking... That's what prayer does. Prayer is the way we break up the ground. It's the way we prepare the soil of our heart for God's word and God's spirit to grow, to move, to bear fruit. It shouldn't be a surprise that God moved in Lydia because she's a woman of prayer. She regularly, it appears, was at the riverside with the other women. She's praying. She's ready when the time is right. And just so you know, we have a time of prayer here at the church. It's moved a little around a little bit, but starting this week, Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. here in the sanctuary, if you want to come and pray, and this is led, led by lay people in our church, you can come here, you can pray. You can pray for other people. You can pray for yourself. You can intercede for the church, our country, the world. Prayer helps to prepare the soil of our hearts for God to move. So Lydia is not only a successful businesswoman, she is a woman of prayer. And I think as a result of prayer, you see the third characteristic in her life, which is she exercised leadership. Now, we can tell this from her business. We can tell this because she was the head of her household. But it also seems like in that gathering of women at the riverside, she's the one who both responds to Paul. She's the one who takes initiative in talking with them. She clearly seems to be the leader that people are looking to. But in biblical terms, it's always about servant leadership, right? And so part of what she's looking to do is she's looking for how then can she serve Paul and his companions. Because leadership, again, is always about service. It's always about, do the people I lead, do they grow from the exercise of my leadership? Not are they crushed, not are they broken, not are they abused. Servant leadership is what we see in the Bible over and over from those who are following the Lord. So she exercises leadership in that group, and we see that in the next thing, which is she practiced hospitality. Now, Lydia 
I like to say, hosted the New Testament All-Stars in her home. I mean, really, think about this. Can you imagine in your house preparing a meal and setting it out and having Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke around your table? At that table, you have two people who wrote more than half of the New Testament. I mean, can you imagine? How cool would that be? Over half the New Testament written by the people at your table. And then I thought, because this is a region where there's earthquakes, and we even hear about an earthquake just a little later in Acts chapter 16. And I thought, can you imagine what would have happened if there was an earthquake when they were all having dinner and like the roof caved in? And we lost Paul and Luke and Timothy. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you want to talk about a hinge moment. Can you imagine opening your home and sharing hospitality and the people around your table are these four men? I just think that's an amazing thing just to ponder and to imagine. And, you know, hospitality is such a part of living the Christian life according to the book of Acts. You know, in Acts chapter 2, in this wonderful summary passage in verses 42 to 47, it says part of what the early church did was they went from house to house, breaking bread together. And having fellowship and praying. And hospitality was central. You got to remember the time when Paul's doing the second missionary journey. You, you know, you didn't go on TripAdvisor and say, let's see, where am I going to stay when I go to all these different places? You read about them staying, right? And, and frankly, in the first century, uh, some of the common houses where people stayed. Uh, had activity taking place in them that early Christian missionaries did not want to be associated with. And so where did they stay? They needed to depend on the hospitality of other people. We see that in Lydia. She's generous in opening her home and feeding and providing space for these men. So she's a successful businesswoman. She's a woman of prayer. She exercised leadership. She practiced hospitality. Another thing we see in Lydia is she displayed courage. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you turn in your Bible to the end of chapter 16, and this is after Paul and, <laughs> Paul and his companions have been arrested. And why were they arrested? They were arrested because there was this slave girl who had what we're told is a spirit of divination. And she's walking around following Paul and his companions and she's shouting at the top of her lungs about how these men are from the, have a message about the most high God and da-da-da-da-da. And, and Paul, after several days, it's, in some translations it says, Paul, very much annoyed, turns and basically rebukes the spirit, casts it out of her. The owners of the girl realize, oh my gosh, we just lost our source of income. We were making all kinds of money with this woman, basically fortune-telling. So they raise up a thing, and they accuse, these Jewish guys are here, and they're advocating doing things that Romans aren't supposed to do. So they use ethnicity, and they use 
nationalism to try to raise up people's emotions, get everyone riled up. They start a riot and Paul and Silas get beaten and they get thrown in jail and they have this, you know, they're in jail. That's when they're preaching and it says everybody's listening to them. Of course they're listening to them. They're chained to the wall. What are they going to do? They can't leave. You know, whole interesting approach to getting people to listen to sermons. You know, just chain them in. So they can't leave. And there's an earthquake, and the earthquake comes, and the chains fall off, and, you know, the jailer's ready to kill himself, and Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. The jailer and his whole household hear the message, they all believe, they all get baptized. And at the end of that chapter, and all of a sudden they realize, holy smokes, we did things to people who are Roman citizens that are against the law, so they're all worried, and so they let Paul and Silas go, and where do they go? Well, Acts 16, verse 40 says, they went back to Lydia's house. Why do I say she displayed courage? You're talking about a business person who is now publicly providing shelter and hospitality to someone who people in the community have beaten, made accusations about, and she has the courage of her convictions and faith to be publicly associated with Paul, even after that. Think about that. You know, business people have to be really careful, right? I mean, you want to try to have a good reputation in the community and all, and she's willing to put that on the line to be, you know what, these people are staying under my roof. And she gives them shelter. I think that's really impressive. And not only does she do that, um, it's also interesting to me that by that point, if you look carefully in your Bible, it's no longer the we of earlier in chapter 10 through 17. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 40, after leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. So Luke must have left. And I don't know why Luke left. You know, he's a physician. He could have been called away to something. But Luke appears to have departed. But part of what's interesting to me about this, too, is that it would seem from that verse in Acts, in Acts 16, 40, that Lydia's home was a gathering place for the church in Philippi. Now, granted, it's brand new, right? It's brand new. And I honestly hadn't thought about this before. But after, you know, Paul and Silas are released from jail, they all meet at her house, they leave the city. But the, this leads to the final thing about Lydia that I want to say, is Lydia made an impact. She made an impact. And the reason I say this is Lydia's stay in Philippi may not have been permanent, and it may not even have been that long. Because here it was the, you know, when you study, again, you have things, you're like, how did I not see that before? And the thing that was the, how did I not see that before, is we have a letter known as the letter to the Philippians in our New Testament, written to the people in that city. And you know who is not mentioned in that letter? Lydia. Did you notice that before? Don't lie to me and say you did. You know you didn't. 
And I was like, wow, how come I didn't notice that before? She's so significant, right, in this early stage. She's the one they meet. She's the first convert. They stay in her house. They even go back to her house after they get out of prison. And yet by the time Paul writes the letter to the church in Philippi, he doesn't say, as he often did, he mentions several women in that letter. But he doesn't say and say, hey, say hi to my first convert. He doesn't say hi to my friend and sister in the faith, Lydia, who had us in her home. Is that interesting to anyone else or just me? It's interesting to me. And what it made me think of was, you know, we think of how highly mobile our society is today. But remember at the beginning, I talked about travel. And how Paul and Lydia traveled, if you will, for their business, for their work. And with mobility, people come and go. We see that all the time on the Cape, don't we? You know, people come here for a few years, a little while, and then they move somewhere else, many of them. Few of you have been here for a while. But what it tells me about Lydia is you can make a really significant contribution even in a short period of time. You can make a really significant contribution even in a short period of time. And wherever you are in life, and we have people watching us from all over, not just on Cape Cod, and we have people watching and here at very different ages and stages of life. Don't think, well, I'm only going to be in college for four years, so I'm really not going to invest a whole lot in that community or that school because I'm going to be gone. Or you might think, well, you know, I'm only on the Cape for a summer or for a season, so I'm not really going to invest myself in people. Or I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Lydia makes a huge contribution. And we don't even know if she was still in Philippi by the time Paul's writing to the church. I find that both inspiring and striking. It's Mother's Day. And I think it's good to highlight a significant woman in the history of the Bible and the history of the Christian church. Lydia, the first Christian convert in Europe. As the faith starts to move westward, a successful businesswoman, a woman of prayer, she exercised leadership, she practiced hospitality, she displayed courage, she made an impact. Wouldn't it be great if people could say, I know some of you are men, so you can just make it successful businessmen, but wouldn't it be great if people could say, we were successful in our work, in our vocation, and we were a person of prayer and we were servant leaders and we demonstrated and practiced hospitality and we had a courageous faith that we weren't afraid to be associated with Christ and we made an impact where God placed us. I want to be part of a church like that and I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much today for Lydia and we thank you for the key role that she played in the gospel moving into Europe, gaining a foothold in the city of Philippi, of encouraging Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy. And God, we pray that 
you would help us to try to embody and demonstrate some of these same characteristics, some of these same behaviors and virtues and attitudes in our own life. And God, we thank you because, you know, you are so amazingly great. And we see it in the beauty of the world you have made and the creation that we see all around us that we are a part of. We see it in the gospel and the story of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for Paul and his willingness to go anywhere and to share that story with anyone. And we thank you for preparing the soul of our hearts. God, may that word of faith take root in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.